I will be reading 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 through 28 from the English Standard Version. Then the two prostitutes came to the king Solomon and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman, I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him, and she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while, my, while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no. The living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This is the word of the Lord. So that's the situation. Hmm. You present an interesting dilemma. Each of you seemingly has a legitimate claim to the bicycle, and yet the bicycle can have only one rightful owner. Quite the conundrum. As a federal employee, I believe the law is all we have. It's all that separates us from the savages who don't deserve even the privilege of the Daily Mail, stuffing parcels into mailboxes where they don't belong. Damn it! But you must promise that you will abide by my decision no matter how unjust it may seem to either of you. Do I have your word? Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's begin. Ooh, my Coco! <laughs> well, you both presented very convincing arguments. Uh, on the one hand, Elaine, your promise was given in haste, but was it not still a promise? Hmm? <laughs> and Kramer, you did provide a service in exchange for compensation, but does the fee 
once paid, not entitled the buyer to some assurance of reliability? Hmm? Huh? Uh, these were not easy questions to answer. Not for any man. But I have made a decision. We will cut the bike down the middle and give half to each of you. What? This is your solution? To ruin the bike? All right, fine, fine, go ahead. Cut the stupid thing in no, half. No, no, give it to her. I'd rather it belong to another than see it destroyed. But Newman, give it to her, I beg you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah not so fast, Elaine. Only the bike's true owner would rather give it away than see it come to harm. Kramer, the bike is yours. What? Sweet justice. Newman, you are wise. But this isn't fair. Look at my neck is still hurting me, and now you have the bike? Well, tell it to the judge, honey. I'm going for a ride. Thus saith Newman, and all the people said, yeah. Um, your child walks through the door at the end of the school day with a black eye. What do you do? Your boss just told you that the company isn't doing too well, the cuts have to be made, meaning you. What do you do? You've been contacted by a lawyer, then it seems that a long-lost aunt left you an inheritance that was quite unknown, quite unexpected, and quite large. What do you do? Hmm? Uh, uh. These are not easy questions for any man to answer, right? Life takes, here's what Mark Moore will write this week, the ability to practically live out God's truths in a way that bring health to you and to those around you. That's what life takes. Life takes wisdom. It only takes probably a few minutes uh, for you to walk outside these doors today until some situation pops up in front of you that will require wisdom. Wisdom, we often think, is for somebody else. It's for some future version of me. But what if wisdom is not just for philosophers? It's not just for the grandmas in our life. What if wisdom is how every person in this room gets through life today? Because at some point, here's reality, you will take the wrong job. You will at some point hire somebody you shouldn't have hired. You will date, if you're dating, somebody that you shouldn't have dated. You will buy something that you shouldn't have bought. You will make a promise that you shouldn't have promised. And when you do those things, your life will blow up. And when those things happen, the question is, what do I do so that things don't get worse? Just like Elaine and Kramer, what we want is wisdom. How do I take the next step? And what we want is for God just to give us the answer, right? Tell us what to do. Give me a list. Show me the direction. Do I turn right or left? Speak to me. Give me a guidebook. Rules for every situation. He does not do that. But what he does offer us is infinite wisdom. So let, let's start off today by defining wisdom this way. That wisdom is making the right choice even when there are no clear moral laws telling us explicitly what to do. That's wisdom. And there are centuries ago, uh, we open our text to 1 Kings chapter 3 and we find an underage kid who all of a sudden becomes king of Israel. And God comes to this underage kid and says, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. 
And this underage kid spends a little time and he comes back to God and he says, I need discernment. I am supposed to shepherd your people, Israel. I don't know how to do that. I'm not even sure if I can come in and out right. Would you help me? Give me discernment. Give me wisdom. And God said, yes, I will give that to you. And because you didn't ask for all of the other things that anybody else probably would have asked for, I'm going to give you those things as well, wealth and fame and fortune. And he said, yes. And here's, here's my thought, that even asking for wisdom was super wise. Is it not? And I say that to point out that wisdom isn't only about your experience or your age. Wisdom is not reserved for the gray-haired among us. Wisdom can be acquired by an eight-year-old. Wisdom can be acquired by any of us. It's not out of our reach. And so when's the last time that you've asked for wisdom? When's the last time that you've said, God, <laughs> I know I'm not really sure what I'm doing here and I don't even know if I can go, come in and go out and would you just give me wisdom? We need the ability, first of all, to be wise enough to ask for wisdom and so ask. Because there are two, two occasions where we will sense our need acutely for wisdom. The first occasion is we need wisdom at forks in the road. At forks in the road. There are times that there are more than one possibility. There's more than one option. And the choices that are in front of us, none of them are necessarily wrong. What do we do in those circumstances? Do we marry? Do we not marry? Do I go to this school? Do I go to that school? Do I not go to school at all? Do I take that job? Do I not take the job? Do I create my own job? Do I retire now? Do I retire later? Do I stick with the project or do I cut my losses and move on? There are forks in the road that we come to and there are lots of times no cut and dry answer and so we need wisdom. More often, probably, is number two. You need wisdom when rules don't help out. Right after this text where Solomon is wise enough to ask for wisdom, which is, by the way, one of the texts that you will read this week, right after that, the text launches into what we read earlier, this incredible display of the wisdom that Solomon possessed. Solomon is presented a court case. There are two women that come and come before him. They're both prostitutes. They're both mothers of newborns. And the first says, hey, we live in the same house. There's nobody there but us. And one night, this woman's son died in the night. I think it's because she rolled on top of him. But whatever it is, she found her baby dead. And she brought her dead baby to my side. And she took my very much alive baby and put it by her side. And I awoke and I found that my baby was not alive. But then I noticed, wait a minute, this isn't my baby. And the other woman pipes up at that point and says, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. The living baby has always been mine. The dead baby has always been hers. And the first said, no, 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 that's not true. The living baby is mine. The dead baby is hers. And that's the case. And it's a case where the rules don't help. Consider this, that these two women are both single women. See, if it were a man and a woman who came to uh, Solomon and said, who should the child go to? There are rules that societies write 
as to, you know, is the child better off with the mother or the father? And the rules would have helped. But here, they're both single women and the rules don't help. Also, they are both prostitutes. If one of them maybe had been educated and high-functioning and successful in her life while the other was a rabid, violent, drug-addicted streetwalker, then we would know the rule would help. Obviously, you give the child to the person who can take care of it, right? But they're the same. They're both outcasts. They're both marginalized. They're both on the outskirts of society, and the rule doesn't help. Also, if you paid attention, there are no witnesses to what happened. If we could only come, have somebody come forward and corroborate one story over the other, then the rule of law would help, right? But, the, but there's nobody that's around. It's just her word against her word, and the rule doesn't help. And that's when you need wisdom. That's when I need wisdom, when the rules don't help much. Some decisions only take knowledge. Uh, the doctor prescribes you some medicine. Here, take this. Oh, okay. You don't have to think about that. Some decisions only take compliance with the rules, the Bible uh, says, don't commit adultery. God will tell us, don't lie, don't, dr- don't uh, uh, disobey the laws of the land. So that means don't drive over the speed limit. Those decisions are black and white. They're easy to make because there's a rule. But no verse, no verse will tell you whether to take on the partner in your business or not. No verse will tell you where to invest your money. No verse will tell you how to divide your day. No verse will tell you how much to spend on a house. No verse will tell you when you should challenge somebody and when you should encourage somebody and when you should just say nothing. And yet at the wrong, the wrong decision in those times will bring disaster. They can ruin you even though there aren't laws against what you're doing. There's no law against being an abrasive person. There's no law against being an impulsive person or a disorganized person or there's no law against eating Twinkies every meal 24-7, right? But if you do those things, it will do you in. And wisdom is competence in the realities of life when the rules don't help us out. Wisdom is to see a turtle on top of a fence post and to understand it didn't get there by itself. Wisdom is to know that there are two wolves fighting inside of you and one is greedy and selfish and pride and arrogance and the other wolf is kindness and love and humility and the one that wins is the one that you feed the most. That's wisdom. Wisdom is to know that a tomato is a fruit, but that it doesn't belong in a fruit salad, okay? Wisdom is Neil. Neil was a kind and lovable character in his town, and he was considered uh, by most people to be very simple-minded, and people would exploit this. Time after time, he, in his small village, people would come up to him and offer him his choice of either a dime or a nickel. And he would always take the larger physical coin and they would run off giggling, thinking he's so stupid. Finally, there was a bystander who could bear that mockery no longer. And he went up to Neil and he said, don't let these people fool you anymore. The nickel may be larger, but it's the dime that's worth twice as much money. And Neil said, I know that, but if I start taking the dimes, people will stop giving me money. That's wisdom, right? Wisdom is not just knowledge, 
but it's applying that knowledge to the way life works. It's to have competence in the realities of life when the rules don't help out because there will inevitably, for all of us, be women, uh, the equivalent of two women who come in front of us, both arguing their case, both saying the same thing, and we have to decide, how am I going to proceed? That's the need for wisdom. So if that's the need, the next step is where to find it. Where do we find wisdom? And I want you to skip all the way down to the bottom of the text to verse 28, and then we'll come back and pick up some pieces. But at the end of the story, this is what happened. All of Israel heard the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Where is wisdom? Where do we find it? This is so simple and yet so, pr- so profound. It's, it's not my insight. Here, here's the answer. Where is wisdom? The king has it. That's it. The king always has wisdom. When Solomon made this judgment and decided what to do, the decision was so astounding that the people held him in awe and they held him in awe because that's where wisdom came from. And here's the truth. Wisdom in your life will always flow from the throne of the king. And here's what I mean. Whatever your king is, whatever you hold in awe, whatever your ruling power is over your life, that will be the source of your wisdom. The king is always the keeper of wisdom. To explain this a little further, one of the words for wisdom that we need to understand is the Hebrew word musar. It's translated instruction, and it's used in the text that will be your text for the week, Proverbs chapter 1. And what this word means, instruction, musar, it means training with strong accountability. It is to come under the authority of someone else. It is to give yourself to something. It is to put yourself under the teaching of an instructor who often gets up in your face like a coach would or like a sergeant would in the army. And so whatever you put on the throne as your king, whatever you hold in awe, that thing will become your drill sergeant. That thing will become your teacher. It will begin to discipline you and mold you and shape you and dress you down until you are fully trained. And the wisdom in your life will always come from the thing that you worship as king. Let me just give you one example. Let's say that you worship your work as your king. That's what you hold in awe, your career, your work. If that's the case, then your work will train you and discipline you. If work is the most important thing to you, then it will teach you to choose it over a kid's birthday or their basketball game. It will instruct you to take all of those wasted hours on Sunday and devote them to one more call, to one more piece of paper, to one more account. And there's no harm in that, right? It's just this Sunday, but over time, work will train you and it will discipline you so that you come to choose work over rest and work over worship and work over family and work over everything. And in the end, it will ruin you. And so the wise question to ask is, what's the most important thing in my life? And your answer to that is how you will navigate your daily decisions. Whatever your king is, that's where your wisdom 
will come from. Solomon has two women in front of him, and he makes the most brilliant move ever. So brilliant that, you know, it has to be used in a Seinfeld episode, right? And Solomon finds a way for these women to reveal what they really hold in awe. What king was really over their heart? He figures out where their heart was by bringing out a sword. That was his method. And he says this, he brings out a sword and he says, cut the living child in two and give half to each woman. And there, you're both claiming that the child is yours. So now you'll both have a part of it. Now, Solomon, it's important to understand this. He was never really going to kill the child. And we know this because he's not surprised at all at the responses that he gets. The sword is not the solution. The, the response to the sword, that's the solution. The responses of the women tell the whole story. One mother says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't, in the, don't harm the child, let him live. While the other mother says, yeah, cut him in two. Better that neither of us should have him than she have him. And one woman shows what she is in awe of, and it's motherhood, right? Being a mom is what she wants most desperately in life. We could call it motherhood idolatry. And if being a mother is the most important thing to you, then you don't really care about your kids. You care about yourself. And because she only cares about herself and not the child, what she ends up saying is very foolish. Let him die. I'd rather that some, someone else, I'd rather see that than someone else get this child that I'm desperately wanting for myself. And anyone reading can see that she's not the real mother. She's a fool because the idol of being a mom has trained her well. And that's her response. How do you know if you found wisdom? Wisdom will always flow from the king. So how can I assess my life? What Solomon does for us here is to reveal a couple of different kinds of wisdom. Let's, let's talk call the two ways of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. That's what's on display for us in the two women. You can see it. The, the world's wisdom is seen in the woman who desperately reached out for something only to end up losing it. She desperately wanted a child, not for the child, but for her sake, right? She reached out for being a mom and she ended up losing Everything and worldly wisdom is when we reach out and we strive for the things we make ultimate in our lives, things that will leave us empty in the end. We strive for things, we climb the ladder only to find it's not leaning up against anything. True wisdom, godly wisdom, is seen in the woman who gives something up and then she gains it back. And the, that concept giving up to get it back. That's the secret to life. It's the secret to the universe. If there is a secret to salvation, it is that. God's way is always you lose something in order to find it. The wisdom of the world says that the way up is up. I gotta climb the ladder to get up. The wisdom of God says, no, 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 the way up is actually down. The way to find something is actually to lose it. And this woman knew that. She knew the right thing to do was to give something up 
for another. And she gave away her motherhood so that the child could have life. She gave away her hope so that this kid could have it. She gave away her dreams so that this child could have them. She's not panicked. She's not resentful. She's not, she's not selfish. She gives her child up. And here's how to know if you found true godly wisdom. You're all of a sudden going down. You're all of a sudden getting low because you know that's the way up. You're losing your life because you know that that's the way to find it. You're gaining freedom by being the slave and chaining yourself, but to the right master. And you are acquiring true riches that you can never lose by giving the ones away that will disappear tomorrow. That's godly wisdom. By the way, take a look at the king here. The woman isn't the only one being wise and giving up losing something. Anyone think it's odd that the king of all Israel is considering this case? I mean, think about his schedule, his appointments, the items on his agenda. He's running a country, right? But here he is, and he's hearing a minor case between two squabbling prostitutes. He's giving his time. He's serving the least of these. He's willing to bow and lose so that others can be raised up and win. What is that? It's humility. Here's a king who is somebody who is putting himself on the back burner and decreasing so that others can increase. He's treating two nobodies as somebodies because because he's a humble king. And when the people see that, (laughs) that they have that kind of king, they hold him in awe. And do you see it? He gives up his honor and it is given all back to him. The woman who says, spare his life, I'll give up my hope so that he can have hope. Here's Solomon who says, I'll give what I have so that people are better off. I can't do it for everybody, but I'll do it for these two, and they'll be better off. They both point to a savior who said, take my life so that all of them can live. Jesus. And he went to a cross to prove that he was serious. Paul says of this cross in 1 Corinthians that this cross is the foolishness of the world, but it's the wisdom of God. The secret, the truth of the gospel is that the way up is is down. The way to win is to to lose. To, To live is to die. To be free is to chain yourself to the true king. And wisdom is not a what. Wisdom is a who. Wisdom is the true king, Jesus Christ. He is wisdom in the flesh. In this same passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God. Two times. And so the test for wisdom is this. Are you giving yourself up for the real king? That's the test. Are you losing yourself? Are you denying yourself? Your best you comes in making Jesus your true king. So would you saturate yourself with his word? Would you make sure in your life that no other king is controlling you except him? And then whatever decision has to be made, whatever fork in the road you come to, wherever, whatever situation where the rules don't apply, make your decision and then relax because Jesus will be wise for you. And guess what? If you make a mistake, he's pretty good at weaving them into the story. I'm going to call the band up, and I want to read a quote by Max Lucado. Max said this, you can afford many wrong choices in life. You can choose the wrong career and survive. 
the wrong city and survive, the wrong house and survive, but there is one choice that must be made correctly, and that is your eternal destiny. The wisest step to take towards wisdom in a sermon about wisdom is this. Would you make Jesus your king today? Take the step right now so that when you come to the end, you'll know what's next. The wisest decision you can make today is to seal your eternal destiny. And the decision is whether or not to hand your life over to God through his son, Jesus Christ, the true king, who is wisdom in the flesh. If you want wisdom, then the right king has to be on the throne. How do you put Jesus there today? Father, we thank you that Jesus is all we need. Uh, We come to these places in our lives where we're not sure what to do, and yet you, just like like a good father, are teaching us, training us, instructing us, giving us insight through your son, Jesus. And the closer we get to him, the better we will be able to navigate those things that pop up in front of us that we're unsure about. Would you help us to take this wisdom into our heart because the king, the true king, Jesus, is on the throne of our heart. And may that wisdom, when that happens, that wisdom will flow into our lives. Whether we've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe we're just exploring this idea of faith and Jesus and what it means to be a follower. Father, would you help us to recommit to you today that you are the king of our hearts. Help us to put you on the throne once again and find wisdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, I'd like you to stand. We're gonna close with a song. Maybe you have never come and said, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this by myself. And you've never reached out for that rescue. This is the time to do that. I'll be right up here as we sing.